As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Straight Out Cobham, a show about Chelsea from The Athletic. It's me, Liam Toomey, once again, Matt Davis-Adams, I can only assume is still getting over his 40th birthday celebrations. We were, of course, all invited, but as soon as he told us that there was a quiz involved, we we wisely chose to steer it and spend this week with you lovely people. So I'm joined today by Dom Fifield. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm reeling from that joke. That was a tremendous way to go in. Fantastic. <laughs> Don't bother coming back. It's all right. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> and Sam Parkin, how's it going? Good, thanks, Liam. I believe he's at a centre park's about an hour away from Aberdeen now. So that's a remarkable choice, that isn't it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this fortieth just knows no end. It's unbelievable. I've never thing. actually been to a centre park, so I've only ever seen the adverts. Does anyone have any sort of solid centre parks impressions or takes? Tom's nodding. Well, I've been. I went to one in 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 the Netherlands, and it was it was excellent. Good fun for the uh, for the kids, I'd suggest. Um, I'm not sure how the outdoor pursuit thing would work in Aberdeen at this time of year, but you know, <laughs> each to their own. <laughs> I didn't even know that they existed in the Netherlands. I thought they were a UK chain. Anyway, this is what you've all tuned in for. Um, <laughs> so it makes sense to start with um, the latest on the Chelsea takeover. There hasn't been much tangible movement, but the big news on Wednesday was that Chelsea chairman Bruce Buck had set up a meeting uh, between Tom Ricketts and Chelsea's first ever black player, Paul Canneville, um, who, of course, had publicly expressed his opposition to the Ricketts family bid on Twitter. And this has been perceived by the other bid teams as preferential treatment from Bruce Buck towards the Ricketts Griffin bid. What, what what was your take on that, Don, when you saw that story? Um, well, look, the, the, two things really. The, the first, if if as has been suggested, Rain wrote to the bidders on on the first of March and asked them not to make any contact with Chelsea's current directors during the sale process unless they otherwise advised. I, I think we're all expecting uh, Marina Granovskaya, Bruce Buck, uh, Eugene Tenenbaum to meet up with the four 
preferred businesses at present at some point in the next couple of weeks. So that is sanctioned, that's allowed. Um, but if that letter went out on the 1st of March, then then I can see why some of the other consortia might be dismayed that uh, or, and and be and be crying foul really that some that one of the bidders has been apparently given preferential treatment but the, the counter argument to that is that I think we're in a in a period now where everybody's a bit uneasy there's not a lot happening publicly um, I think it's probably also a time when rumor and counter rumor will be rife um, and that you can probably read quite a lot into very little things. Um, and this, the sort of level of paranoia in what is a very tense situation in terms of the, the bidding auction um, is probably heightened as, as a result. Uh, so we're actually, I mean, some of the copy this morning in the, the, that's being published out there is actually citing uh, some of the consortia that, that haven't even got to this stage of the process and, and them sort of now arguing, well, hold on a second, is the... Has the Ricketts bid always been preferred by by Chelsea? Have they all have there been a bit of a foregone conclusion that they were always going to be the ultimate winners of this process? In which case, why did we bother? Um, or has it been rigged from the start? And I, I just think that the level of paranoia involved in this is gonna is gonna stoke that type of rumor for for a while yet. There's going to be a lot of bitterness from those that 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 don't proceed within the process, um, and a lot of there will be a fallout there'll be a fallout there'll be there'll be all all kinds of uh, all kinds of briefings happening left right and center i imagine in the weeks to come so um i can understand it the sense of outrage to a certain extent but i i do think we just need to sometimes just take a step back and 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 realize that this is quite a, a fractious and tense process yeah obviously everyone briefing from the other camps has their own agendas but absolutely um I was told last week by some people around this process that there was an impression that Bruce Buck was advocating internally for the Ricketts Griffin bid. Um, you know, I don't know if that's true. That was the perception that some people had. And a story like this is really only going to reinforce that. Um, so, so it's quite, it's, it's quite damaging in that respect for Buck. When, when you have a situation where, where rain has actually worked with the Ricketts family in the past, recently as well, and two years ago, I think it was. And I, mean, I don't know whether you knew what a SPAC was before um, before this process began, a special purpose acquisition company. But um, they they formed this SPAC um, for a, a, a £247 million purchase of a, a technology media telecom um, company or whatever it was, um, so there is a history there. There is a link there, and I think people will read a lot into that. Um, and you know, if, if they have worked together, surely that counts as something. In a, if you've got an existing relationship, and 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 Buck and Rain clearly do as well. So, hmm. well, I think the I think the fact that they've made the shortlist in spite of everything yeah. that's been happening in terms of the fan mobilisation against them um, should tell you all you need to know about how the strength of their bid is perceived by Rain and by Chelsea. It doesn't mean they'll win, but it certainly means that they are contenders that need to be taken very seriously. Um, Sam, you know, it, Dom referenced that suggestions that the bid teams have been kind of forbidden from contacting the Chelsea board. And there, there's, there have also been suggestions that the bid teams have been told not to publicly 
you know, curry favour with Chelsea fans. Obviously, they've a lot of the bids have met with fan groups, but they've done so sort of privately. Um, can you understand why that's the case? Because maybe if it was, if it was just a free for all, uh, this process might turn into something even messier than it already is. Yeah, I think so. There has to be certain parameters in in place. Um, I mean, just on the face of it, it it feels strange given the the recent goings on, the situation we're in. That Chelsea would want to enter into anything with uh, controversy attached to it. Um, so there has to be a financial, a huge financial element to it um, in regard to the attraction to the, the Ricketts family and, and, and their bid. Um, so hopefully in the next you know week or two, I presume they're going to look more intently at the other side, the, the Chelsea financial aspect, the, the training ground, what needs doing with the, the, the ground etc so we'll have a bit of a, a clear understanding between the relationships then um i think at, at the moment this meeting has probably been set up because there's so many skeletons in that closet um whether we're gonna hear about you know other um problems with some of the other uh, potential new owners we'll have to wait and see but it, it does seem a little bit peculiar that preferential treatment does seem to have been handed out or you know they've had an opportunity to speak to to Paul Canneville to alleviate some of those worries so bit of an issue but it does sound to be the the people that are no longer in the running that have gone public with this rather than the the other consortiums the other potential ownership teams who are still in the race the other bid team that's had probably the the next most coverage um, after the the Ricketts Griffin bid, and, and certainly a lot more of it positive, has been Todd Bowley and his his consortium. Um, we've continued our series profiling the, the the Chelsea bidders on the Athletic. Simon's done a big, excellent piece explaining Todd Bowley, who his team are, and and what he kind of publicly stands for in terms of wanting to own Chelsea and what his plans might be. So do check out that piece. But Dom. One thing that struck me just going through that piece immediately was that he's he's an American that wants to call football football, uh, which I can imagine is quite an immediate uh, PR win with with any any English football fans, but certainly Chelsea fans. Well, um, if I'm honest, if any of the bidders are coming out and saying that they're calling it soccer, then quite frankly, they, they, they've lost already. Um, <laughs> look. The uh, the noises we're getting on the on the Bowley bid are, are all very positive. The thing that struck me um, from that piece with Sai was was actually a, a pledge that, uh, that that Bowley made prior to Chelsea being available in this you know exceptional circumstances as they are now, where he talked about the the supporters being the heart of everything that he he wants to do and look that's that's exactly what you'd expect him to say publicly but it's it's the right time to you know it's it's a good it's a good starting block for um for his for his bid and and for the consortium i think it, like with all of the all these contenders chelsea will be different um even when they they take over the comparison that si makes in there is with the Fenway Sports Group, 
who do spend money do spend money on 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 players and on wages definitely but but do it in a way that is far more self-sustainable than Abramovich did at Chelsea um and I think that is the new reality of 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 Chelsea Football Club, whoever takes over, and uh, you know we we all have to accept that the supporters definitely have to accept that um, life is going to look slightly different, um, but there'll still be stellar names playing for the team, and they'll still be in contention for the major honours, I imagine. Um, and and Bowley would very much operate in in those ways, and you know Simon makes the point as well that that given the numbers that we're talking about here, huge numbers, he's not doing this alone. He's got Hans Jörg. Vice, he's he's got uh, Jonathan Goldstein working in terms of um, presumably in terms of the stadium, etc., um, and, and what would happen there, and 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 working it out of the UK, and uh, you know it just seems like a good all-round package. But but I, again, part of me just looks at all of these bids, and and Ricketts Ricketts being the exception because of the the controversy that's dogged that that particular bid, but. I suspect that actually on on paper, all of these bids will look very, very appealing, very, very good. They'll all be very well put together. That's why they've got to this stage of the process. So I don't think any of these profiles really that we're we're publishing this week are going to suddenly be saying, well, this lot haven't got the money. They can't do this. They can't can't compete. They can't continue to to maintain Chelsea's status at the the top end of the the elite game in Europe. and then I suppose it then comes down to relationships. It comes down to uh, the outside noise, and you know that, logically speaking, that would count against Ricketts and probably count towards Bowley and the others. In terms of recent sporting success, in your guys' opinion, how, how much does that come into it? In terms of the LA Dodgers having unrivaled success recently, in comparison to some of the the other um, sporting teams franchises that the the other bidders are involved in and also the experience of going in and um, and sorting out the LA Dodgers when I think they've been engulfed in a scandal, which is similar to what he's walking into now. Well, I, I think when you're talking about American sports ownership versus ownership of European f- football clubs, there always has to be the the caveat that it it's a completely different environment in terms of the rules and what it what you have to do in order to succeed. So, you know, the, there's been criticism of the Ricketts for, you know, the perception that they've basically just stripped the wage bill, uh, Chicago Cubs, and, and they're not a they're not a competitive team anymore. Um, but that could also be a conscious decision as part of a long-term success plan in, in, in US sports because you're tanking, as they call it, for draft picks. You're, you're actively rebuilding for, for assets and around young players. Um, you don't do that in England. You don't do that in European football. You have to win today and tomorrow. Uh, it's not a choice. Um, so I, I think in that respect, um, Todd Bowley's record with the LA Dodgers is quite promising because they've managed to succeed at a high level for longer than you're really supposed to in American sports. You're supposed to have a kind of three or four year cycle and then your players age out. And you have to you have to refresh or rebuild. It's very very difficult to stay at the top for a long period of time because the systems of the sport are stacked against you in that respect. So teams that manage to do it deserve credit, and the owners of those teams deserve credit because they they generally it generally means they've hired the right people 
and they've empowered them to make good decisions. And that, that to me, I've said this on the podcast before, is probably the number one thing I'd look for as a new owner of Chelsea is, are they going to either hire the right people or in a lot of cases at Chelsea, keep the right people in place and, and let them make the right decisions to, to keep Chelsea successful on the pitch. And the signs with, with Bowley on that are, are quite, um, are quite promising. Also with Stephen Pagliuca, um, he's been involved with the Boston Celtics, who I think have been generally very well run and have generally made very good decisions. I know that someone who watches the NBA quite closely, although I'm looking forward to the profile of Pagliuca because he's the one we know least about. Um, what do you think, Don? Again, I, I, I go back to my original point that I think you could say the same about Harris Blitzer and, and, and Broughton. And, and, and you know more about basketball than I do. Liam, but but the, the noises I hear on the on the seventy sixes or the sixes, whatever whatever we want to refer to them, that, that he has he has a spent a lot. They have spent a lot of money on wages and on on court team building, etc. But also in terms of management staff, in 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 the hires that they've made, that their general manager is well respected. Uh, that the, the coach of the team is 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 in a, an elite coach in terms of in terms of basketball. I think some of the appointments they've made behind the the scenes have have also been right up there. And 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 you know, it's reading in Simon's piece that Bowley has has yeah he's 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 made elite choice. He's 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 brought in elite people to run the club in the same way that Blitzer and Harris have done across their their sporting portfolios. I mean that's. That's good ownership. That's what you should do. Um, that the, you're not going to meddle. You're not going to think you can do better than than people who are experts in their fields. And and that's that's part of good of good ownership. So I, I, again, I don't I, I don't know whether that that means that that sets Bowley apart or sets Harrison Blitz apart. I think that's just a good sign that these guys know what they're doing. But I, I, I don't think it will. I think when you actually look on paper at all these bids, I suspect they'll be, they'll be all very similar in that. I think I suspect that the numbers will be very similar, the the track records will be very similar, uh, the desire for some kind of long term structure, strategy, project, even the ideas that they put in place on the stadium at Stamford Bridge, I think will be very very similar. The thing that interests me slightly more is a lot some of these guys have 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 bought potential in the past some of them have bought clubs that have been ailing and they've looked to revive them they're now going in at the top end of the market and they're buying a club that is already the european champions is already the the reigning club world cup winners and and that is almost a slight removal from from the norm in their strategies and and that that to me is interesting because i I think they are going into uncharted territory a bit. Some of them, in that regard. So, I mean, then they're, they're buying a top-level club here, a club that they need to maintain as opposed to reinvent. Um, and you know, maybe that maybe that might pose its own problems in some ways. Yeah, I agree with that. And the one thing I'd say about the the Sixers ownership is they're a bit of a funny one because you're you're absolutely right, Don, when you say they have spent. Um, they've been willing to spend big in pursuit of success. Their decision making has been uh, pretty erratic <laughs> over over the years. That Daryl Morey, um, who's the current general manager of the Sixers, one of the best gen- general managers in the NBA, 
he's their fourth general manager. Uh, so they, they've really been through it and they've changed direction multiple times and they've made some some pretty weird decisions that have set the team back quite a bit. So it, it, it's been a bit more of a kind of checkered record, but they are the team is in a good place now and fundamentally they've been willing to back it and spend money, which is which is the primary thing you're looking for in an owner. So um, I just wanted to finish this up with one final question on, on Bowley, Sam. Um, with regards to Jonathan Goldstein, because he kind of represents the one speed bump that the Bowley bid has encountered publicly because he's a Spurs fan. And that is obviously never going to play well with with Chelsea supporters. Um, how much do you think that would actually be a problem if, you know, if, say, Bowley wins the bid and, and Goldstein is kind of the the face of the ownership day to day? How much of a problem do you think that will be for Chelsea supporters? I don't think it's a big obstacle if it, it starts... In the right fashion, um, I suppose you can you can win anyone round. I I would imagine, um, if I'm allowed to say it, he should have a damn sight good idea about how to go about the rebuild or the the changes to the stadium, um, because that's one thing that they've certainly got right in North London. So, yeah, if he's um, if he's across, you know that 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 build and and that particular project or how it was done, then um, yeah, it should be in good hands. Um, but yeah, I don't think the, I can't remember the name of the, the, the lady, but she came out, didn't she, a couple of weeks ago and said that she wasn't, um, a Spurs fan, someone involved in one of the other bids. Uh, but it sounds like this one's a little bit clearer that his, uh, his colors are, are tied to that particular mask. So he's just going to have to, have to run with it probably. And hopefully, um, hopefully do some good stuff and, and when the, the doubt was around. It should be noted that, that Chelsea under Roman Abramovich had, some fairly prominent members of staff who were Tottenham the Hotspur supporters over the years and did a very, very good job for the club as well. And to the extent that quite a few Chelsea supporters probably are unaware of their original allegiances as well. So there you go. <laughs> we'll out no one here. <laughs> um, and the other big story this week, of course, I'm, I'm hesitant to even talk about it too much because there's so much uncertainty around it, but... Credible reports emerging that, that Roman Abramovich um, was potentially poisoned um, during peace talks, along with a couple of Ukrainian negotiators at the at the start of the month, and that he since made a full recovery, but that things were apparently quite dicey for him um, with 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 skin peeling and temporary blindness. And according to the New York Times, he asked a physician that. You know, are we dying at one point, uh, which is pretty crazy. Obviously, the the Russian state, as you would expect, has denied involvement. And there's also been suggestions from a, an unnamed American official, you know, sort of playing down the poisoning idea, saying it could be environmental factors. There's so much, there's so much conflicting noise around this, Dom. Have you ever seen a story like this? Not in the world of football, I have to say. It's, it has it has been absolutely remarkable, and you know, I've, I've got a, I'm almost outing my age here, but I've been doing this for twenty three years, and I've never known anything like it at all. I mean, it's it's every day is just bringing something that it's it's so outrageous that it could it could be lifted from you know a barely credible spy thriller or something i mean it's 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 just 
it's just staggering and it's impossible for us to really verify a lot of the stuff that's coming out as well given the situation in in ukraine um and and the secrecy around so much of of what is happening so yeah i mean i don't really know how to react to the the, the poisoning story i mean other than that other than it was a bit of a wow moment when that dropped and it's i mean where do you go from that we, we'd heard all the the suggestions about Abramovich acting as some kind of peacemaker very, you know, early on in the process. And, and I think there'd been a fair amount of cynicism about that um, as well. Uh, then this emerges and you initially thinking, well, that, that, that must be proof that he's, he's very much involved. And then the, I think the cynicism returns again quite quickly afterwards, just because of the situation we're in. Um it's going to make a hell of a story in about 20 years' time Let's put it when we can actually get access to all this and work out what actually happened. But, yeah, it's remarkable, absolutely remarkable, and who knows what happens next. Next up, we'll look ahead to the return of the Premier League and the visit of Brentford. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So Chelsea returned to Premier League action this weekend for the first time in three weeks, hosting Brentford at Stamford Bridge. There will be probably about 10,000 empty seats, we think, given that this is only open to Chelsea season ticket holders and Brentford fans. Brentford have, have sold out their allocation. And one of the big attractions, I think, of this game, at least maybe from a non-Chelsea perspective, and I think most neutrals will be looking forward to watching him after an international break where we saw him score twice for Denmark, is Christian Eriksen. Um, what have you made of him so far at Brentford, Dom? And, and what have you made of what you've seen from him during the international break? Well, I mean, his impact at, at Brentford has has actually been it's been quite subtle, but it's 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 worked. He's 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 provided once he's gained the, the, the match fitness and got a bit more time on his legs, he's 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 offered them something slightly different and knitted together um, their forward line and midfield really efficiently and and. With the quality you expect, I mean that's all, that's all still there in abundance. They needed it. It was a, it was the right little. It was a fillet for them to secure him and get him into the team because their season was deteriorating rapidly. Really, when he came in, and he, he, the two wins that he helped inspire at Norwich and at home to to Burnley are really going to be the, the key victories for, for Brentford in terms of them staying up there. I think they remain their only wins in the league in the last 14 games or something, dating back to the middle of December. So they, they really have been struggling, but he's just given them a bit of a, 
a shot in the arm, really, and uh, allowed them to... We brought the best out of even Tony. He's brought the best out of that forward line, given them a bit of confidence. And it must be it must be amazing for those players to turn around and see Christian Eriksen in their ranks. Uh, you know, a player of of, of his caliber, even with what he's gone through um, since uh, since the Euros in the summer. And it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant story. It's a really good feel good sto- uh, story. Seeing him back in uh, playing again on on the field. Um, It'll it'll take him a while before he's he's back properly to the levels that he was, and let's all hope that he he does. I don't think there's any any supporters out there that would would wish him any ill at all. They, they, we want to see him back flourishing again, and to see him back in the Premier League is it's it's brilliant. As I say, it's one of the best stories of the season, and and he will be a threat against against Chelsea. He's shown that over the international window, he can. Um, he can still offer plenty, um, but it's really more about the, raising the standard of the entire team around him and and um, pepping the confidence of players like Tony that, that has really boosted Brentford at the right time. Sam, you've watched Brentford quite a lot, haven't you? Um, they put Chelsea through absolute hell <laughs> in October, <laughs> especially late on in that game. They've They've been struggling more in the second half of this season, but... How many problems do you think they're capable of causing for Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, particularly now? Of course, they have Ericsson, which they didn't have before. I think I think the coach is a very clever guy. I think when they've gone through tricky spells, even during the, their time in the championship, he wasn't adverse to not so much changing the style. I, I think they have done that this season, actually, but actually just flipping the, the shape of the team or the formation. I think he's done it four or five times, you know, when they were they were very much a four three three side when he got the, the job. He went to a back three for the the end of the promotion season, started in that fashion this year. And he's changed it again recently when things aren't going well, which says to me he's a really good coach on the on the training ground, that he's adaptable. And I think the style has changed this season. We we saw it on the, the opening day of the season. You know, uh, Brentford would have been in the top five possession sides in the championship. They'll be in the bottom five now, I would would suggest. Um, and the, the the pass completion will be down. And, and of course, you have to put into account that they're playing against better sides now where you're going to be giving up a lot of the ball. But but still, Brentford would probably, for my money, have been kind of mid-table of those two, uh, those two, those two tables. So I think they've been more direct. And I think, you know, I think 16 of 33 goals have been set pieces or penalties. Um, obviously, Ivan Tony dispatches them, but... Clearly, that is a strong asset for them, and having Christian Eriksen in the fold now as well with his delivery, that's gonna that's gonna really add to that. So, I think they've they've certainly taken a pass or two out of their um, their patterns at, at times, and I think as well the return of the goalkeeper recently, um, Rico Henry's another one. I think missed quite a lot of football. They've got their better players available now, and as Dom says, with Eriksen to raise that standard further. I don't see them having too many problems staying up. Don't like the phrase free hit, but I think their season's probably going to be defined with games against Watford, Southampton, Everton that are that are on the horizon because they've got they've got four tough games against London opponents and Watford, um, depending on where you, you you fit them in. So yeah, four massive games where I don't expect them to get much, but they should stay in the division. Dom, you covered that game for us at Brentford, didn't you, back in October? How did it feel in the stadium? Because watching on TV, it felt like, especially in the last 20 minutes, the pitch was tilted towards Edward <laughs> Mendy's goal. 
Hey, this was Dom's moment of the season pre-Christmas, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. It really, it genuinely was. It was, it was, because it was so, it was so strange because Chelsea had been the better team for the, and, and utterly dominant really for the first hour, 70 minutes of that game. And then, and then I think it was seven, was it 17 minutes in stoppage time where, where Brentford suddenly revived and, and just poured everything at, uh, at Chelsea. And I, I, at the time I thought, wow, I mean, for a newly promoted team to cause this many problems and that's nothing I'm not taking anything away from Chelsea's resilience I mean obviously obviously Mendy was absolutely incredible that day um and it was a real rear guard from from Chelsea to, to keep a to emerge from that battering with a clean sheet was was quite a feat but for a newly promoted team to to be able to put an elite side and um, under that much pressure, I, I looked. I looked at them and thought they're going to have no problems at all staying up in this division. They're going to they're going to rip lesser teams than Chelsea to pieces, and it really. So it was a shock to me, really, that they they fell away so badly in the in the the weeks and, and months that followed. And I think since that game, I'm just looking at their their results now. They've, they've only actually won. Well, they won five games in the Premier League. They they won. And, and two of those were those Norwich and, and Burnley matches in in March. Um, I, I just I, I guess that shows the the brutality and the ruthlessness of this division. Um, and for and for newly promoted teams, they often they often have a little flurry of results at the beginning, which which sets them up. And maybe maybe the the winter months when uh, when there's more strain put on smaller squads. Maybe that's when it when the sort of quality tells most of all, and then you get into a bit of a rut, and, and confidence drains away, and then and then you find yourself suddenly thrust into a dogfight. But look, they will have enough to stay up, I'm sure. That win that Watford game, and they're probably there. I think the, the biggest component for all promoted sides is having that that coolness, that clinical edge in front of goal. Mm. So I think having Christian Eriksen having the ability from midfield could give them a, a real boost. You know, I went to the Manchester United game relatively recently and as Dom just said on that Chelsea performance, they uh, created six or seven unbelievable chances in the first half, but just didn't have that coolness in their veins. Midfield players in particular, lacking the composure. I think because the magnitude of the occasion that they're, they're, they're in every week now, you know, playing in the Premier League against the top sides and you just need to have that coolness and that composure. And I think... Ericsson will bring that. And I think Tony concentrating on being a striker. He's a brilliant all-rounder. He's brilliant in both boxes. But I think this season, he's done too much work outside the box. Hopefully now, from Brentford's point of view, he can concentrate on getting the goals and he's got the perfect supply now. He only he only scored twice in the Premier League between mid-September and mid-January. Um, so, I mean, Ericsson's arrival uh, in recent weeks has given him this little flurry of goals. I think he's got He's got uh, eight in 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 recent weeks in all competitions, and and I mean they needed him firing. That he was going to be the the player originally that was going to set them apart and keep them well clear of trouble. Um, and ultimately, that may well be the case. But I think probably Ericsson's introduction has helped um, it helped inspire him and 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 to to rediscover that form. We'll get a proper team news update from Thomas Tuchel in his press conference on Friday, but. The fact that Reese James and Callum Hudson-Odoi are back in training uh, is 
is clearly a massive boost. Rhys James obviously held out of England duty with a view to being fit for Chelsea's defining stretch of games. And we we saw, I think, you know, particularly in that win over Burnley recently, just what an impact he can have against deep lying defences. So that's Chelsea versus Brentford, 3 pm kickoff on, on Saturday afternoon at Stamford Bridge. Matt will be back on Monday to bring you all the reaction to that game. Next today, a roundup of the rest of the Blues News. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, Edouard Mendy, glory with Senegal again. They got another incredible, dramatic penalty shootout win over Egypt in the space of a few months after their Africa Cup of Nations triumph. Mendy saving a penalty from Mustafa Mohamed and then using the powers of his mind to direct a dozen lasers into the eyes of Mohamed Salah at the crucial moment. I mean, that, if nothing else, to me, Dom, proves beyond doubt that he he should have been in in the shootout against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup final. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't really know where to start with that, Liam, to be fair. Um, it, sound, it sounds as if the lasers were actually directed at both sets of players when they were taking the penalties, which seems a bit weird. I mean, if, you can, if you're going to be a home home supporter in the Senegal-Egypt game, then surely you're only, you're only blind to the Egyptian players, but there you go. Um, yeah, look, what, what, a, what a player Mendy is. Um, he, he, he must have... He watched the... Uh, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best penalty shootout. Let's be honest. The first four penalties um, in that shootout were all missed, um, and then I mean, like missed, properly missed. And then he picks up that the actual save that that from from Mohammed that allows Sadio Mane then to go and to win the tie again. So as long as as long as Chelsea, as long as Chelsea are, are playing all their their major knockout football against Egypt, then yeah, it's it's not a it's not a problem. He should definitely stay in goal for the shootouts. Otherwise, you just got Ring Kepper on again, I suppose. But amazing player, fantastic year. It just gets better and better for him, and now he's got a, a World Cup to look forward to at the end of uh, or in December time. I'm not encouraging this to to happen again, but are there people frantically trying to make uh, glasses with a deflecting mechanism in them? Uh, or something, you know, so the, the players could go and. <laughs> did that ever happen to you, it. Sam? Or I mean, did, did you ever? Did you take penalties? I did reluctantly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but no, it never, <laughs> happened. never, never happened to me. No, no, probably a 
uh, a pie or something got tossed in my direction at Vale Park or something <laughs> once upon a time, but no, I don't remember a laser. It's very modern. <laughs> You'd have to really back your aim to to lob a pie at someone as they were trying to take a penalty. Your margin for errors vanishingly thin. Um, there was no Chelsea representation in England's 3-0 win over Ivory Coast, which is probably a good thing if you're a Chelsea fan, um, particularly with you know Mason Mount given a given a rest. That's important, Sam, isn't it? Given how much football he plays and the way he plays, that you know anything that can help him ensure that he's sort of going at full speed in the defining stretch of Chelsea season is probably a positive. Yeah, without doubt, you'd want to play in that first friendly wouldn't you and then you know, turn your, your attention to um, recovering and getting ready to return to your club so yeah definitely there's there's not many is there I think Kovacic came on late didn't he I think to help overturn a, a deficit and was heavily involved in that I think Azpilicueta was spared playing the, the entirety of the, the, the second game as well so there's not too many that are going to be leggy and as you said there's um, there's Reese James hopefully to come back in Chalabar as well, I think, would be uh, another one that's had a bit of a rest. So they shouldn't be in too bad a nick considering the amount of games that have gone on this week. And yeah, hopefully not too much travelling as well. I'm glad we're classing Conor Gallagher now as a Crystal Palace player as opposed to a Chelsea player after listening to the podcast the other day, which was predominantly about how wonderful he is at Chelsea. Um, oh, I yeah. forgot to give you space to rant in response to our Crystal Palace uh, slash Croydon well, I would, but you know, I've got to get over there at some point. It's going to take me three days, apparently. So, um. <laughs> yeah, you have to go by horse and cart or something, don't you? <laughs> Producer Lucy will get there quicker from the states, I imagine. <laughs> Elsewhere in Chelsea international news, um, Werner Havertz and Rudiger all started for for Germany in their one-one draw with the Netherlands. It was Rudiger's fiftieth appearance for his country. I can only hope that he marked the occasion with a speculative 40-yard shot that had no <laughs> chance of going in. <laughs> One day it will fly in and then you'll be eating your words. <laughs> it, will, it will literally just validate him doing it for another 10 years. But um, For Spain, Marcus Alonso came on as a second-half substitute and registered a couple of assists as, as they beat Iceland 5-0. Aspilicueta played from the start. Good sign for him. He's still very much in the fold heading into the the World Cup in December um, and Christian Pulisic in the USA they lost 2-0 away at Costa Rica incredibly they've never won there um, <laughs> which I was astonished to hear um, but it didn't matter they needed to lose 6-0 to fail to qualify for the World Cup that didn't happen so Pulisic will be in Qatar um, getting the stage that I think his his talent certainly deserves and um, just looking ahead uh, Chelsea women are back in WSL action on Sunday when they face Reading at Kings Meadow in a game that kicks off at 6.45. And their primary title rivals, Arsenal, host Leicester earlier in the afternoon. Um, Emma Hayes' team beat them 9-0 last Sunday, so no pressure, Arsenal. Um, just to round off, Dom, what are you working on right now? Well, in, in the... In the in the sequence of of profiles of Chelsea bidders, um, I have got um, the Sir Martin Broughton bid, and primarily a look at the two um, American businessmen that who are, will be prominent in terms of backing that bid: Josh Harris and David Blitzer. 
um, people who will be well known over here anyway because of their involvement at Crystal Palace. They are they have some experience of of ownership in the Premier League, um, but that's the next in the sequence of of the four profiles. Good stuff. What are you up to this weekend, Sam? Um, fully across the the football league. I'm doing the EFL and Quest show on Saturday, and then to Wembley for the the start of the showcase finals at the National Stadium. Papa John's final, Rotherham against Sutton United. It's amazing that Sutton United are there, isn't it? What an incredible story they are! Absolutely incredible. Yeah, we used to I used to play Chelsea. Must have been a preseason friendly, probably at Gander Green Lane, yeah. way back when. If someone had told me. You know, they'd be, well, they're, they're in the race for for automatic promotion still, probably just about, certainly playoffs from League Two and got a Wembley final as well. It's, it is an incredible story, even to make it out of the National League in comparison to some of those teams, you know, jostling up the top this season with the yeah. finances at, at Stockport and Wrexham, et cetera. It's unbelievable. And if they were to, yeah, if they're to win this, that yeah, one of the stories of the season, unquestionably. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they can complete the fairy tale. Um, I won't be at the Brentford game on the weekend. I'm I'm jetting off tomorrow on a secret assignment. Uh, so Simon Johnson will be covering that game for us, and I'm sure he'll be on Monday's pod with, with Matt to round it all up. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll speak to you again on Monday. The Athletic. 